Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Claire McKenna. You're listening to Changemakers, the podcast series that talks to people who stand up, speak out, or challenge us to think a little differently. Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to Changemakers this week. Oh, I so loved this conversation. Even though I discovered in researching for this interview that I lived 10 minutes away from my next guest for most of our childhoods and teenage years, and we went to the same college, I only know of Paddy Smith from what I've seen of him on TV. His biggest gig to date was probably winning Channel 4's The Circle, based around catfishing and social media, The reality show saw him win £70,000 and a legion of fans, but also brought with it a lot of criticism that Paddy had used his disability of cerebral palsy to win. Today we talk about how he dealt with this, but how it's not the first time he's had to dig deep and push back against bullies, and why he's determined to show that having a disability is not something you have to hide or people should pity, and why he's determined to put out the image he lives by that you can have a disability and still have a fun and fulfilled life. Prepare to fall in love as I did with Paddy Smith. You're very welcome to Changemakers. Thank you very much for having me, Claire. Really appreciate you having me on. I have been immersing myself in your work, um, a lot of your TV stuff, a lot of your stuff on social media, and there's a great energy from you. So I'm only sorry that we're not properly face to face, but oh. uh, I'm still hoping to get the positive vibes over the airwaves anyway. And you have spent a, a lot of your time breaking boundaries, challenging opinion and making change so I'm excited to get into that but can we go back first to you growing up and your life then and and your family? My childhood was difficult obviously like my mum passed away when I was a kid from cancer of the womb and when I and she had cancer while I was inside her so there was a lot of complications with the birth and and then I ended up having a cerebral palsy within my legs, which in layman's terms mean that my legs, my nerve endings from my head to my legs are slightly off. So how I tell myself to walk is wrong. So it's actually not my muscle. It's my signaling that keeps telling myself to walk wrong that makes my leg go wrong, if that makes sense. And is that something that you had fully in the womb or is it caused during birth? So it's actually caused... Um, during the birth canal so it's a loss of oxygen to the head and obviously there's different spectrums of cerebral palsy it's a massive spectrum so the quicker you're saved the quicker you know it can be prevented i suppose um, and they've actually come up with something to think that if a lot of people if you could if you could figure out if the birth if the birth could be bad or you know there'd be a risk of cerebral palsy and they gave them a section it could be avoided at at, at overall cost do you know what i mean 
That's the other thing that's come in, um, which is I think is very interesting. Um, but how do you figure out if they may have it or not? Do you mean if there's a risk? Yeah, or, yeah. And did you have to spend some time making peace with the the what ifs, or are you more on the there's no point? You just deal with the cards as they are. Yeah, I mean, do you know what the funny thing is? Um, me and my dad always, I suppose, kind of looked at this differently. He wanted me to kind of, you know, strengthen my legs and, you know, like walk without crutches and get as close as I could to having a normal leg, in inverted commas. But I always felt like this is who I am. Like, I, I'll never be able to walk straight. And like I can't change that so I so for me what I don't miss I don't know like what I don't know I don't miss for example like for you Claire if you end up being disabled or have my condition you know what it's like to walk without it I don't so I never really looked at myself as disabled in some ways like that it didn't really get me down and um, which is I know a weird kind of outlook to have but uh, like sometimes I have to remember that I am disabled do you know what I mean and there's some things I can't do but I mean, you know, I don't go around thinking of my characteristics at all times. I'm just yeah. Claire getting through life. And of course, yeah. there's going to be differences and more challenges perhaps that you're going to face. And we're going to get into that. But you don't necessarily have to go around saying anything more in your head except that you're Paddy. Exactly. I think that is right on paper. But I suppose living a life with a disability there is more complications when you walk outside the door like you know the place you go to will it have wheelchair will it have access you know will it be a lot of people there where i'll find it difficult to to um, move around uh you know like does it only have high stools but which would be more difficult for me to get up on um so all these things like play in my head like is it really far away do i need to get a taxi or will i be able to walk there um, you know all these things how far is the bar from the table so I don't have to ask people to get my drinks yeah and they're obviously not things that I ever have to consider my only thought is how am I going to get home and how am I going to feel yeah, tomorrow so, exactly and what about childhood then Paddy did do you have a sense of, of being different then when you were growing up yeah I mean I think I always had a sense of being different I think um, it was always told to me that I was different um, and in some ways my dad used to say I was special and I think that kind of put like a really big um, pressure on my shoulders to prove something um, and because um, I'm part of like a blended family with a lot of siblings and we're not all fully related and that's fine and we all get on but because of the dynamic of our family as well um, and the strong influence of like an older generational dad like he had me in his late 50s um, and me coming to terms with me being gay as well as top of, of top of being disabled so I was a minority but in a minority and there was like family dynamics going on at home with my dad and myself kind of clashing heads as everyone does but I think ours was heightened because there was just so much going on Um, so yeah it was it was really hard and then when I went I went from CRC, which, uh, you know, is a specialised school and it's a, it's a great school for, for people, but they took me out of there and put me in mainstream school. So I didn't really understand the veracity of um, the meanness that children could convey and how 
being different in a mainstream school would kind of like put you as a victim on, on the offset, you know. So what age were you when you first went to mainstream school? Um, I was eight, but I had to, was I eight? Yeah, I was eight, So I had, but I had to go two places behind because I wasn't academically ready for what I should have been in, in terms of class. So they had, I actually was always two years behind in school as well. So that was another thing to deal with. I was always the oldest. Um, people looked at me as the most vulnerable because of my physicality. And I didn't really know social dynamics of how children work because I didn't really have any friends in the other school. Like we were all just kind of like taken in, gone to school, but like you wouldn't have play dates or anything. And when you think of the difference between an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, yeah, mentally, there's a massive change and there's a massive difference. But yeah. I know kids can say the strangest of things, but I, I would have thought there would have been a bit more innocence that they would have just met you at, at face value they did i mean i'm I'm going through school in my head through all the years so obviously when i first came in um do you know what i they could have been eight and i was ten i think that's what it was that makes more sense so i was making my communion again yeah so they so they was i was ten and they were eight for that, that's how it was yeah because six does seem a bit young i wouldn't think uh, yeah, so they they must have been ten and it was, they were I was ten and they they were eight, um and obviously when I first came in everything was fine and you know but I didn't really understand how to navigate a social situation either you know like my social skills were zero, I was always wrapped up in cotton wool because you know they just wanted to protect me so when I was kind of brought into this big bad world, um I didn't really know what to do and in in you know, people can smell that off you, smell that kind of fear, and they, kids can be mean. They take advantage, you know. And but it definitely made me a more resilient and stronger person. And through the years, then you know, I did find my feet and found my circle. And um, especially when I went into secondary school, I actually became like quite popular um in secondary school. But then what happened was I came out in secondary school in an all boys secondary school, um. And then my fall from grace was catastrophic. Like they used to throw rocks at me because I was gay or, you know, wouldn't go into changing rooms where I was in or invite me to places and wouldn't show up and stuff like that. So then I suppose, although I had a stint of like coolness in inverted commas, like I was very much tormented in some ways because I was different. And how did you find that resilience, do you think? Because you've always had some sort of strength at your essence, essence. whether it was you butting heads, as you said, with your dad, with maybe Mm. his traditional views of how you should handle the cerebral palsy, his thoughts on on, on you coming out and, and, you know, finding his feet with all of that. And then again, at school, to, to be made to feel that way. How did you find that that essence of 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 embracing that and and helping it to make you stronger um to be honest Hera, I don't really know um I I always I always felt like I wanted to do something in this world and I always felt like you know one day I'm going to prove these people wrong and um, I'm actually getting obsessed here thinking about it because like that was a real big fire in me to prove everyone that I was worthy of something. 
because through a lot of my life I felt like I wasn't um, because of how I was treated. So I think that gave me a fire to um, like move on and like always get, put my head down and like I had this kind of blinker resilience on me like I don't care what they think because I know I will be able to do something. And it's incredible because it could go either way. You could shrink and fall back and, and, and let that get in on you. But you did have that fire. And did you have an idea that it was going to be in broadcast in any way? Did you have your eyes on, on TV at all? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, from an early age, I loved um, entertaining. Like I used to dress up as Elvis. Um, and make my dad put on Elvis videos and my whole birthday party imagine for the adults how annoying this was my whole <laughs> birthday party um, me performing to Elvis Presley while everyone else sat down and watched me perform and I'm like how even my older sisters who were like in, they were like 17, 18 at the time I was like how did you even like your my whole birthday was just around me performing every song of Elvis Presley and then when I was six I, I don't remember this, but my dad brought me on holiday and I was like, I want to go to the bathroom on my own. And he was like, okay. And he like, he could see it. So he let me go. And like, and I went up to the air hostess and asked, could I sing a song? And I sang Molly Malone in front of the whole plane. <laughs> so like, I think it's always been in me to want to entertain. Um, and I also think it's that insecurity of wanting gratification and validation from like everyone around me that I have, that I have something, Do you know, I think that, that insecurity must have been in me from an early age. Yeah, and that that magic that you now carry on to the screen. So what about leaving school then? What were your kind of hopes and dreams? And did you have an eye on a course or anything that you wanted to do or yeah. a direction you wanted to go? Mm. Uh, I actually went to Colossia Dulig. So I didn't really do well in my leaving school. I got like 300 points. Uh, well, that's not, not well before what I wanted to do. I needed like four or something, you know. Um, but I really hate that system anyway. I think it only showcases a certain aspect of your intelligence, um, and doesn't really kind of give an overview of kind of different people are people are intelligent in different ways, you know. Um, and so I went to Clash of Dulig, did a media, I did a media kind of um level seven course there, and then I went over to the UK, and I actually went over to the UK to finish my last year in university there but I did I then went over there and got a job in Peoria uh so I kind of did like I said I'll go back to I'll do the Peoria because I thought practical experience for me is where I'll flourish and then I never went back and finished my degree which I kind of regret in some ways like I'm like why did I go through all the trouble I, like I wrote an essay to get in and everything and I went I was like I'm gonna do a scop gap year and it's kind of once I did that I was like went there in my head so then I did PR over there, and the UK was really hard for me because um, I was coming out from college and went over to the UK, and it's a big bad world. It's, I think it's much different to Ireland uh, and Dublin, and it's a lot more colder and crass. And like you know, if you're not doing something, then you're out. Um, and I and I I did an internship in PR there, and like you know, I did some fun things, and like and I came back with my tail between my legs, kind of like having failed there. I didn't really kind of find my feet. Um, and then I actually went on to sell Paralympic pins. So 
like I like my dad was always like, "What are you going to work at? What are you going to work at?" And I'm like, "I don't know what I want to work at. I always wanted to be like in front of the screen or a presenter. Like a presenter for me is like what I would love to do. It's like my ultimate dream, and um, just to showcase to people that people who are different can front a show and navigate a conversation, and it doesn't have to be." you know the people that we always see it can be someone different to hold a show and I think that would be great to push that boundary and I hope that's what my ultimate goal is but you know I did go and sell Parliament Pins on the street and that kind of gave me resilience as well because I was commission-based only but then they kind of brought me on as a full-time employee and gave me like a wage but for a year I was on commission only um, selling pins, Paralympic pins in the street. And I didn't tell my dad about that because I was afraid that he wouldn't let me do it because I was standing and that he would be like, you won't be able to do it kind of thing. So I kind of wanted to prove to him that I could. And then from there, I actually fell into the social media thing. Um, and that kind of all started coming into play. And then I started doing my whole disabled life uh, and just showcasing what it was like to live with a disability, but wanting to have all the hopes and dreams of the of the other uh, 20 somethings that were around and wanting to live in the city and you know go out and have fun with your mates and talk about your um you know your musings and like you know who you got with and I thought that it'd be interesting to see kind of the differences there and I think that's such a positive change to the whole broadcast industry because radio and tv can be tough to crack there's only a certain amount of programs or, or places and it can be a lot to do with all kinds of different variables, whereas social media gave people their own platform to be themselves 100% and decide their own style. But can I ask you about working in PR a little bit and what it was like going for jobs? Were there times that people might look at your CV online or talk to you over the phone and then would be surprised when you would turn up in person? Did it come into play when you were looking for employment? Yeah, absolutely. It really, really did. Um, like, I couldn't get a job in the UK for, that's why I had to come home. I couldn't get internships. And, you know, and when I was in Ireland as well, like, the only job I could get was that commission-based job only, selling Parliament pins in the streets, even though I had an education and I had experience and I had come back with three, or three internships under my belt. People... Had this idea, have this idea of someone with a disability that they will not be able, since I've done research in this and kind of gone in the rabbit hole of activism, um, it's more that they feel like, will they be able to discipline them if they need to be? Do you know, like, will will like, will like they be able to get the job done and be, be able to take on the, like, pressure of a time constraint? Um, do we have the right facilities? These are all things that play in people's minds while you're employing. So... For, so when I'm sitting there or you're sitting there, Claire, if you have the same attributes as me and the same, like, it's just easier for them, for you, in their head. But know? other people's issues can be less visible, perhaps. And you explained cerebral palsy. You you can't walk yeah. as straight as maybe the next person, but everything else is functioning fine. You're perfectly able to exactly. do a job and... You want to be treated like everyone else. If something goes wrong in the office, you want to be pulled in and get yeah. the feedback and learn from it and get the praise and go on and do well. Why wouldn't you? I know, exactly. And I think that's something that's changing these days. Like we're going back about 10, 12 years when I was like, I was in 
the UK. One of my age now, 33. So I was in the UK 10 years ago. Uh, so going for jobs back then in Ireland and the UK was very difficult. And, and I didn't have the confidence I have now of being able to explain my disability and kind of, you know, in very short terms, let them know that I am very capable. I used to try hide it or not say it, and then by me not by me not saying it on the phone or hiding it, seems like it may be worse than it is. Do you know what I mean? Um. So that's only come with time and confidence on my end. And then when I started explaining it in interviews, I'd be the one to bring it up. I'd be the one to explain it. Then I start. Then I actually end up like getting jobs and like you know. I went I got poached to go into a technology company but it's only when I took I suppose my insecurity by the reins and explained it to the people they weren't willing to kind of bring it up which is I guess but I think that's a very hard thing for people growing up with a disability to understand that like you're trying to hide it but but people want to know exactly what it is yeah yeah that the more you talk about it the more there's there's less panic and an assumption and it just removes that stigma and yeah. I always think the whole saying if you can't see it you can't be it is so important so if you aren't seeing people like you when you go into an yeah. office or when you turn on your tv it's harder for you to see yourself in that position or have the confidence to put yourself forward exactly exactly and that's really what it is um, and that's really why that's the essence of why I do what I do and why I push everything forward and why like even still to this day I'm putting like ideas because ideas to the um to RT and Virgin Media and everyone like TV formats ideas like I keep coming up with them like every few months and like just like get them down or you know going to brand I go to brands myself now and say like would you not like to do a campaign like a bit of beauty brand because I hate the aspect of like people are we are always seen in like charity adverts or you know like you know campaign pushes for a certain for a certain demographic but we're never seen in like a sexy cool perfume advert or you know like a um you know like a fun kind of like oh they're out in the town advert do you know what I mean it's always yeah. we're boxed into that thing so I, I'm now working with like Facebook and diverse voices to get more advertising out there like I work with brands like you know that I that I want to push that narrative that we are people and we want to have fun and we're not just worthy victims. Like I hate that like people don't think that like that that we need to be like I suppose looked after all the time, um, and to give us a chance to kind of flourish, you know, um, and we'll well like if we need obviously if we need help we'll come to you. And I suppose when you want to put something out on on TV or otherwise. You don't always want it to be based around disability. You want to just present a, a, a TV show on any given subject that affects somebody who's who's 33 or otherwise. Exactly. But you know what? The unfortunate thing about that is that's for, for me, my like for me, my in is the disability and kind of that aspect of it. And they're not going to give me a show if it doesn't go around that for now. Do you know what I mean? I need to get in to try and change that. But it's not going to, like, it, it's something that within TV and all that, like, like he'll front that. Like, if you think about the show I fronted already, The Fitting Room, it was around people that were disabled and didn't fit into the fashion society norm. And, yeah, there was people that weren't disabled on the show, but for the most part, they were in some way, do you know? Um, and I think that 
I for me it's more getting my foot in the door and then when it's in there I can try and I'll I'll change the dynamics of what I can do, do you know. The fitting room was such a special show. Uh like it was so different and so Thank cool you. and edgy. I absolutely loved that program and it got a massive reaction you and a, fa- a couple of fashion designers and stylists just taking on people who would be viewed as different, yeah. rightly or wrongly. And, you know, you had blindness, dwarfism, and you, you like any makeover show, you were looking at people who were maybe stuck in a rut or, you know, their confidence and self-worth was down and, you know, just gave them an opportunity to express themselves and feel good about themselves. So it, it was really, really, really a gorgeous piece of TV. What what happened to it? Why isn't it a, a <laughs> still going? Why are we not on, on season 10 and it's being sold globally? I, do you know what, Claire, if I knew that, like, you know, that's the, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? I mean, I think, Personally, I don't know the answer, but I think we went up like we were on we were on the same time slot as Game of Thrones finale season. So, I mean, we were the exact same time slot as that. So, I think that may have had a lot to do with it. You got uh, slayed by dragons. You know what I mean? We got slayed by dragons. I mean, like, you no, know, I didn't even want to even want to watch the show when Game of Thrones was on. No, <laughs> 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 so, I'm the show. I suppose if you have a big show like that to go against, that's a beast that you're just never going to, you know, we were a little show, like kind of quirky, like off the cuff show against, going against Game of Thrones. I mean, there's a lot of factors, I'm assuming, but I think a lot of stuff like it is about viewership. And we didn't get the viewership. Do you know, that's why people, that's why you get, that's why you get re, like recommissioned for a new show. It's about viewership and money. Um, and we just didn't get the viewership, I'd say, at the end of the day. And, I, and I'd say it a lot to do with that with the Game of Thrones. Those. Yeah, no, it's a numbers game and the viewing figures help to sell to advertisers and it comes down to profit. And I mean, it, it's it's a business. So I suppose that's the way it goes. But would you consider revisiting it on online? Somebody only said to me recently, hey, have you not heard of something called YouTube? And I was like, I suppose Sometimes you, yeah. you kind of forget that so many things you can do within your own control when you want to put something out there. But you see, the thing about it is, and this is what I love about YouTube and and Instagram and others, um, you know, things have come to the forefront. It does allow you to do your own show, but it doesn't. For me, I want to get to the masses, and I want to, I want to create something that will be tangible. That like a little. A little like you know anyone that can look at it can say that's the tangible thing that I can do. So I so I'm I'm in the middle of trying to get a new format on uh, one of the one of the TV stations and it's around something similar. But you know it's very hard to do it on YouTube. I mean you you'll have like all your own equipment, all like you know you'll need someone to help you. You need guests in, and you know when you're doing a YouTube channel, especially when you're starting off, a lot of people that you may want in may not want to do it because it's like well like what will it get me like this is like you know you need some, you need people to help you get it out there and the right people that you need to get it out there may not want to do it because it doesn't you know it doesn't kind of fit to what they want to do 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So yeah. what came first with your TV? Was was first dates your first, yeah, first TV dates. appearance? Yeah, it was. First dates. Yeah. Um, um, and that- tell me about the, the decision process behind that, because I, I, I do think it was really breaking down a, a barrier there of dating with a disability. Mm. Um, do you know what, Claire? It really was. A lot of my insecurities really flare up and come to the forefront when I'm dating or when I'm in a scenario where like I want to feel attractive. Like a lot of my insecurities flare up there, you know, um, because I don't, I've got, well, I've got better now and I'm working on it through like therapy and stuff I'm doing, but I, for a long time I never felt attractive. And when I went on dates, I used to just really get with people because they liked me and I felt lucky that someone liked me. That's how I felt. So, and I feel like people, especially because I had a bit of a uh, social following before, people don't think that is me. They think it's like, the happy-go-lucky, who has great energy, and, you know, he's always up for a laugh. They don't really see the the really vulnerable, like, you know, where I feel like I am, like, I suppose, like, not fitting in or, like, having to you know, think about what I say, or do I look good, or like, God, are they looking at my legs now when I walk around the room, like, very self-conscious, there's this very self-conscious Paddy, and and I thought to myself, God, I'd say there's a lot of people out there with a disability who are even worse than mine that would feel the same, and I don't think people, until people see it, they don't really understand it, so my thought process was there, I talk about this on my Instagram, why not put my money around my mouth is, and go on a show and show them and lay, lay my heart lay my heart bare and shows up kind of how I really feel in a scenario like a date. Jesus, I was so nervous. Oh, so would I be. Like any first date is just mm. absolutely it's but a blind date just takes it to a whole new level. And then of course you've just got another layer to it because you can't just sit down and be like I am Paddy. You have to feel yeah. like you have to explain. explain yourself. And like I just don't really think it should be that way. Yeah, but also in the same 
with the same sword, it kind of makes the other person feel more comfortable and understanding what it is about, and then it's kind of done. Where if I don't bring it up, they're wondering, okay, what exactly is it? Like, does it affect other parts? Do you know, that's what they're feeling, and that's what you, anyone would feel. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword. If I don't do it, it seems like I'm hiding something. And they won't bring it up because they'll feel embarrassed, you know. Um, and if I do do it, then it's like, well, why should I? So yeah. you don't and look, it is part of who you are. It is part of the fabric of yeah. you. So why wouldn't you talk about it? It's not like a dirty secret, but it's almost like you're explaining yourself or. Yeah, I know. Just something like, about it. I mean, but yourself, Claire, like, you know, put yourself in in that person's shoes i mean if i if i rocked up to you and you know and i didn't tell you what my disability was about wouldn't it be in your head okay what exactly is this you know or would it be in your head at all or you know is it like that is the old age question even on dating apps should they should they be upfront about their disability or do they have to be you know but we don't all sit down and go, you know, I'm really depressed, I'm incontinent, I have irritable bowel. Like nobody just sits down okay. and just starts offloading all of that stuff. But I suppose if it's more visible, that's what the difference is. But it's almost like you have to start from there, which is on a date, you put your best foot forward, you know, you eat really yeah. with great manners, you're really polite, you're really interested in everything that they have to say. It's laughing. <laughs> you're like, and it's not that you know your your cerebral palsy is your is your negative you know it's just a fact but yeah it's just not something I've ever really thought of how do you feel about the term disability I interviewed Jack Kavanagh yeah. uh, recently enough and and he is an advocate for using the term diverse abilities and I've started to adopt that a lot more because there's just less of a negative connotation it's just like we're all different we've all got diverse abilities as opposed to I'm able-bodied and you're disabled I don't like that power at all mm. well for me I look at it differently right I look at it as like disability words only have the power over you if you let them I really feel and disability for me is like I am at a disadvantage that is a fact of my life I am at a disadvantage it doesn't mean that you know, I won't be able to do what you do, but I'm at a disadvantage. Why take that away from me? By you saying diverse ability, it's taking away the fact that I have to climb like higher mountains or get over certain aspects that you don't. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So for me, like disability is a dirty word, but it's like, let's reclaim it and own it. And, yeah. you know, that's how I would look at it. But I know everyone's different. It's just how I... I've carved my my kind of like I suppose my activism, my career off that is owning the word of it and saying I wasn't a disadvantage, but it doesn't mean I won't be able to do what you do. And so, are you with somebody now, or are you on the dating apps? Um, I am not with somebody now. Um, but I'm, you know what, I me, mean? it's like a feast or a famine, and sometimes I'm so okay <laughs> on my own now, which is great. I've I've become so I used to be yearning for someone else. Because I used to think I was missing out, uh, and then like you know I've had boyfriends and all since the first dates. Like first dates back in twenty seventeen, I've had mm. boyfriends. I've had a lot of ups and downs, and you know situationships, um, and entanglements, as um, what Will Smith's wife <laughs> said. <laughs> and um, yeah, you know, so 
I'm happy being alone now, but I am on the dating apps, but I find the dating apps so draining, because I just, I'm really bad at small talk, I don't know, I get, oh, my, my personality goes to a wet blanket, I don't know what to say when I go, when, when I, like, the first conversation. On the dating app, then I have to bring up the dreaded conversation of the disability, although I still have it in my pictures now, like, especially on Grindr, which is, like, you know, a hookup app. Um, which I only go on when I'm locked. <laughs> but, you know, if I get a bit drunk and a bit frisky, um, I'm on there, but then I'm like, I have to explain my disability. Like, like you know, it's just a lot. So I'm just kind of, you know what, I'd love to meet someone the, whole, the like the old-fashioned way. And if it happens, it happens. I'm focused on kind of wanting to create something new um, and to create some, something for people that would feel like they can come to the table and, like, you know, say what they want to say and ha- and have a voice Um, I've heard the saying before that no one will ever give you a seat at the table you have to create your own and that has really stuck with me because that is so true and like I want to create my own table I don't want to be at your table I want to create my own and I want to bring in different talents that people that are misrepresented in any um you know in any walk of life not just disabled in anything to know that feel like they're not represented Oh, Paddy, I want to sit at your table, if for nothing else, just the crack in the energy. Yeah. Uh, tell me about The Circle then, because that is a massive, massive show that you ended up winning. Talk to me about deciding to take part in that. Well, I got approached. Um, I got approached to take part in it, and it was a vigorous audition process, but, you know, um, I got approached to ask what I auditioned for it, and I did. And I really liked the, I really liked the concept that, for once, my disability wouldn't be front and center, um, and I'd be able to kind of figure out. Te- I'd be able to kind of tell them what I want to tell them, and you know, would that be fun? But what I found when I was in there was like I actually lost. I for- I actually didn't realize how much my disability is like. It does make who I am. So without it, I didn't feel like myself. Almost, do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> but you that, thought you were going to be bringing people on a learning curve, but actually you went yeah. on one yourself. Exactly. I was like, Jesus, I thought this would be bringing on people on a learning curve, and I realised that, like, God, how much of my, like, um, identity is around being disabled, and that's okay, you know? And I, and I, how I felt like I was, I, I had lost a part of myself, you know, with this, uh, without it. And then I also went on there because... A lot of times in these programs, people with disabilities, like if you think about the undateables and stuff like that, they're always seen as victims and, you know, they're always seen as like, oh, you feel sorry for them or like, you know, it's very worthy. Um, And I wanted to go on there and said, I'm going to use my disability to win. And I'm going to show that people, you look at it as a negative, but I'm going to turn it into a positive and show you that you can win, you know, using something that people think you you shouldn't. And people some people didn't like that and that is fine and that's why I do what I do it's polarizing it's questioning things I don't do I would I have made some changes of course I didn't I didn't mean it probably as wholeheartedly as it came across I just wanted to question how people with disabilities in media are represented and it doesn't mean that I can't be play a game or be like a bit manipulative just because I'm disabled yeah and for those who don't know or didn't watch the show, can you just explain briefly what the what the concept is or was? 
Yeah. Um, so basically, you can go into you go into a block of flats, and you you're able you go out you you're all you're all in your own apartment, and you go on this social media app called the Circle, and you're allowed to be who you want to be. So if if you if I thought Claire would uh, win over people more than I would, I'd I'd go I'd use Claire's pictures, but I like I'm the person behind them. Do you know what I mean? But no one else will ever see you until you get to the end. So you know, you're, you're. I was talking to um what I thought was a single mom with a kid, and it was actually a guy from Liverpool. Do you know? Yeah, so there's so, like the, the catfishing kind of element to it, but you start to get strategic and use it to yeah. your advantage. So. Are you completely in the dark as to how well you're doing or was there a moment you were like, I'm going to win this or is it a complete shock? No, it was absolutely a complete shock. I got imposter syndrome. The year, for a year after, I had to go to therapy and all for it. I, didn't deserve, I, I felt like I didn't deserve to win. Um, I got really badly trolled after it. I had to go to counselling. Um, and I felt like I was, I was a bad person after it, actually. Like I, I really had to like rebuild myself back up um and I even gave money to two of the players who um who helped me win. You know, uh I just really felt like I shouldn't have won. That's how I felt. Uh so were was, you shut off in the apartment and then just came out to all the reaction in the way we see in so many of the reality shows, whether it's Big Brother or or Love Island, you're cut off and then you're just thrown into the reality of it all. Yeah, that's pretty what happened. You know, that's really, really what happened. I didn't know what was going on. Didn't have my phone, didn't have my passport, you know. Um, and the difference with the circle is the people inside the circle um, pick the winner. It's all of, that's why you get more strategic. And they push you to be more strategic because it is a game. The whole premise of the game is can you get catfished? And can you build, alliance, can you build alliances off, um, you know, off a picture? and not knowing who you're talking to on the other side. And so what do you remember? Obviously, there was the the filming and the the time with Emma Willis and the congratulations and the 70K that you'd won. Do you remember being back in, I don't know, a hotel room or wherever you were that first night and all of it starting to sink in? Yeah, I remember being back in my hotel room and um, with my mom and my sister and opening up my... Opening up my... Um, my phone, I actually had about like 5,000 hate mails as soon as I opened them up. Being like, you're disgusting, you shouldn't have won, you're a disgusting person, how dare you use your disability to win. Like, yeah, it was, it was, and then I was shipped off the next day on a plane to Ireland. Um, and I did all my interviews kind of mostly over phone. So I just felt like even though I won, um. It was like I didn't win because I wasn't there in the studio. You know, I was like I was calling in from home. I just, yeah, it just it was really it was a really really would I change would I take it away? No, I love the circle of what it's about, and I love, you know, it's definitely taught me a lot, and um, you know, it's definitely made me a stronger person. And when I reflect, I would have done certain things differently, but my premise of why I went in, I wouldn't have changed. You know, um. And yeah, it was a really, it was a, so people thought I was on the roller coaster of my life, but it was probably one of the toughest times of my life. 
And with the 5,000 hate mails, were there some gems in there of people who said, oh, my God, thank you for what you did or you changed I, uh, my opinion? Why do we yeah. focus on the bad ones more? Yeah, I suppose it's because uh, the hate definitely outweighed the good. And I suppose you just aren't ready for that amount of hatred to come all at once, especially when you've won a show. Because you're so high after winning. And then you open it and you'll see, I suppose, an avalanche of negative. And then you kind of get fixated. And that's human nature, isn't it? And then, you know, I absolutely know there are people out there that loved what I did. And I, like, you know, and, I, and I'm going through kind of, I'm going back now. I'm a different person now. And I've, I've, gone, I've gone through the, but I'm just trying to say, when you go on a reality show like The Circle or on the bigger level like Club Island, you can really sense why people get down after they go on the show because you go from such a high to such a low and people think they know you off an era of a show. That's like, it's it's really edited, you know? Yeah, and you're being judged on your on your personality. Yeah. You know, it's it's a really tough thing for you to try and get your your head around. But that was back in, in 2019 I know exactly. you lost your dad around that time. You went straight yeah. into lockdown. So you've that, that must have been a really rough year, but time yeah. to rebuild yourself. Yeah, it really gave me time to reflect and also hold my hands up for certain mistakes I made, um, but also gave me time to reflect and kind of like, you know, what I can build, what I can build from this. And no, no one can deny the circle has given me a bigger platform within the UK and Ireland and it's allowed me to work with amazing brands like Attitude. Um I did a, like a, like a like a nude cover story with them, which was so freeing. And you know, like to be a, a, if I if you had told me like when I was ten years old like fourteen even or coming in as a teenager, um, you know, that I would have been doing a naked shoot for Attitude magazine, one of the UK's Ireland, UK and Ireland's like leading ma- gay magazine, I would have laughed in their face. And, you know, and I've, it's given me a lot of opportunity. I would never, t- I'm so grateful for it. But sometimes I think people sugarcoat things too much and sugarcoat, oh yeah, I won the show, it's great, I'm on high. Like, you know, there is ups and downs. Uh, and that's okay. And I think people need to need to know the realness of that as well. Do you know what I mean? And I, am I I'm happy I did the show? And, you know, I definitely am. I definitely have done a lot of work myself since then and rebuild myself. But, you know, that is the reality of how it felt at the time. I think when you put yourself out there, particularly with a sensitive topic, you, you polarize yeah. people, like you said. But I, I still just can't get my head around the, the, the trolling and, and the hate and the real organized campaign that can go against somebody. It's, it's definitely new territory but this is not the first, this is not your first rodeo, as we said, you know, you've built that resilience over the yeah. years and I'm sure that's stood to you. It's not the first yeah. time you've been bullied. It's not the first time people have considered you to be less than. And yeah. at the essence, you're all about proving them wrong and, and fighting for what it is that you want to achieve. Absolutely. And, you know, activism work and breaking boundaries of media is where I feel most comfortable. And that's where I really try to focus on. Um, and you know, I love what I do, and I hope if I can help, like a young kid sitting at home watching Instagram or you know seeing me on the TV, says, "Geez, I'd love to see that. That shows I can do it now." 
that's my job done or a parent that says god my life my child's life isn't over because he has a disability or she has a disability you know look at what this person can do that's what i want to get across that's what i want to do that's what that's what i want my my footprint to be well i've no doubt you're going to do it you're only getting going i'm so excited to see what you have ahead i'm sure covid kind of killed the momentum that was building after the circle was that hard to get your 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 head around or you nearly glad you had that moment to to regroup and now you're ready to get going again do you know what it's a bittersweet in some Mm. ways i would would love to be able to springboard off it um like other you know winners do off other shows in other ways i think i needed the time to kind of get myself back together you know um and i've done you know like i have I've, i have a show coming out this um you know this side of christmas as well which is great uh and you know i've i've, I've been working with i'm now uh, ambassador for be perfect tan which is great it's a beauty product and that's what i've always wanted to kind of push to the forefront um and i've another few things so I, I have a lot of things that i've done this year and i was also which i love i love this because i think you know for a disabled person i was on i was like a, i was on a national billboard campaign for paddy's day um which i've never seen a disabled person in like a happy kind of go lucky advert except for it's like paralympics or something but say for like an actual campaign and uh, i thought that was really kind of like i was happy i wish my dad had been here to see that you know yeah I'm, well i hope he did somewhere or some way are you trying to rob the day off saint patrick Imagine there's only one day, there's only one party in this town. <laughs> yeah. Patty Smith, keep doing what you're doing, and thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Changemakers. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would love if you would take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. It helps other people to find the podcast too. Take care. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.